0: Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, and 16 to 20. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. There is an awful lot to think about in the scripture I just read, but what struck me most was the idea of Jesus sending 70 of his followers ahead of him to prepare the way for his own visits. That's a lot of people and a lot of preparation. And this isn't the first time that Jesus has sent his followers out. Earlier, he sent his 12 original disciples, the apostles, After he'd chosen them and had spent some time teaching them, they got to go on a missionary journey. They didn't understand everything he had said to them at that point, but he sent them anyway. After that, Jesus sent messengers out ahead of him as he made his final journey to Jerusalem. At one Samaritan village... The people turned his messengers away. Samaritans believed that proper worship was conducted in Samaria, in the city of Shechem. Anyone passing through, going to Jerusalem, even someone teaching and healing, was probably a false prophet. And they didn't want any of those in their town. But still, Jesus sent people out again. This time, the 70 people in our scripture reading this morning. Are you starting to see a pattern here? How many times and how many people have been sent out to proclaim the kingdom of heaven? To proclaim God's loving invitation to follow him to get us and the world to where we are on this Sunday morning, something similar must have happened millions of times over thousands of years. As Methodists, of course, we have this all worked out. We believe the Holy Spirit prepares our hearts to receive Jesus. We call that prevenient grace, the grace that goes before, before we take any action towards faith ourselves. Then we encounter Jesus through his teachings, through the goodness he inspires in people, through the care we're shown by believers. We can accept him, we can reject him. After committing ourselves one way or the other we can change our minds, but our reaction to that invitation brings God's judgment. Jesus embodies God's invitation to love him and to love our neighbors. If we reject the invitation, we reject the one who sent it. Fortunately for most of us, God continues to invite. Even after we become followers, We are continually receiving invitations to grow in our faith, in our love, in our care for other people. I don't question that this is God's work, but what does God's work look like on the ground in the daily ins and outs of our lives? How do we meet Jesus today? We need Jesus today, just the way it happened in the Gospel of Luke. We need him because someone that he sent prepared the way for his journey into our lives. The person who was sent to prepare you might have looked like your mother or your father, possibly one of your children, or like that woman from your bridge group your neighbor down the street, or like that man you were talking to in the waiting room last week when you were waiting to have your car repaired. God sends so many invitations our way in the hands of so many different people. He even uses circumstances to send his invitations. I recently read an interview about Matthew Sleeth, who is an emergency room physician who recently wrote a book about his faith. He describes himself as a person committed to science, which he thought meant that he couldn't also believe in God. What he believed in were things that could be measured. He believed in results that could be reproduced like studies on the effectiveness of medications or how best you should set a broken bone. By most standards of measurement, Dr. Sleeth had a good life. He liked his job. He loved his home, his wife, his two children. He was inspired and uplifted by the natural beauty on the coast of Maine, where they lived. but I'll tell you a secret about doctors. Doctors like to be in charge of things. <laughs> and bad things started happening in Dr. Sleet's life, things that he could not anticipate or control. His young children, swimming with his wife's brother, watched him drowning in front of them and couldn't do a thing to save him. Shortly after that, a man that he himself had resuscitated in the emergency room started stalking him. Later, this man killed his own mother. It was hard to quantify the trauma and the grief that he and his family suffered But it was real. Matthew Sleeth taught to himself, there is evil in the world. I can't measure it, but it's there. He'd always thought of evil as a spiritual concept rather than a scientific one, which made him wonder what else that was spiritual he might have missed in his earlier thinking. He wanted to understand, so he started reading. He read a couple of the holy books of Hinduism, and you've got to give him credit. If you know anything about the holy books of Hinduism, they are really big. They make the Bible look like a little paperback edition. He read the Koran. One day in the hospital where he worked, he came across a Gideon Bible. He'd never read the Bible. When he opened it, he noticed the table of contents had his name in it. So he started with that, and he read the Gospel of Matthew. That's where he encountered Jesus. He believed. It changed his life. It changed the lives of his children. He says the Bible became their moral compass. This was years ago, and his kids are grown up now. His son and his daughter-in-law are medical missionaries. His daughter married a pastor, and they're serving a a church in Appalachia. He himself has since retired, and he's combined his interest in faith, he's combined his faith with an interest in environmentalism on how God wants us to care for creation. So why does God send us the people or the circumstances to invite us into faith? Because he's loving and persistent. Because he wants what's best for us. What's best for us is to love God to love God back for the love he shows us and to show love and care to others. The gift of faith has been passed on to us. We might think of it as a chain going back to scriptures like the one we heard today. Or we might think of it as more of a web or a weaving where messengers and circumstances cross and crisscross in ways that are way too complicated to understand. But part of the work that Jesus has done in us as believers is to inspire us to pass this gift on to others. What do we need to take with us then when we go out to prepare people To meet Jesus. Our scripture talked about that too. We don't need much. We don't need a lot of equipment. We don't need a suitcase full of clothes. We need the stories of Jesus and we need our own experiences of how we've seen Jesus working in our lives. All those things are stored in our heads and our hearts. And not that much is necessary for a casual conversation with someone or even for a serious discussion. As Jesus' messengers, will we suffer rejection? Yes, we will. This particular gospel passage focuses on success. You can imagine how excited Jesus' followers were coming back and exclaiming, Lord, even the demons submit to us but we've also just heard about the Samaritan village that rejected Jesus. We recall from scripture that even people who witnessed miracles of healing didn't necessarily believe what the miracles implied. Jesus himself, in this passage, spoke of a vision of Satan falling from heaven. But this doesn't mean that there's no longer evil in the world. That vision is considered to be prophetic, a vision of a process that's begun, but which won't be finished until the last judgment. So we read that the disciples have been given power and authority over snakes and scorpions and authority to heal and to cast out demons. But still... Jesus tells them they're sent out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And we all know in their encounters with wolves that lambs don't come out too well. There can be danger in evangelism. Christians in Asia or Africa or the Middle East could tell us all about it. Jesus reminds his 70 followers of something that we still need to remember today. Jesus reminds them that their names are written in heaven. He is the vine and we are the branches, rooted and grounded in him. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Ultimately, he is our protector. At the very end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is sending his disciples out again, this time to all the nations. But as his final gesture on earth, as he's ascending into heaven, Jesus blesses his disciples. Jesus is still blessing us. He is blessing us our efforts. As we look back over our lives, whether we think we've succeeded or failed in passing on our faith, Jesus blesses the action we've taken. As we look forward and wonder whether our words on his behalf will be accepted or rejected, he will still be blessing our efforts. As followers of Jesus, our names are written in heaven. That's a blessing that's great out of all proportion to anything we can do to deserve it. Thanks be to God. Amen.